Hallmark Quality Control. Hello and welcome back to Hallmark Quality Control, Episode 2. I'm Reagan. I'm Morgan. I'm Ansley. And today we're talking about Episodes 3 and 4 of Season 1, A Telling Silence and Secrets and Lies. So before we get into our critique of the episodes, I'm going to go through um, a brief synopsis of this two-episode arc so we can find out what happened in these episodes. So in episode three, A Telling Silence, it's Sunday in Coal Valley, but despite the holy day, Reverend Anderson finds himself giving a sermon to a mostly empty room. Having lost his church to a mysterious fire, Reverend Anderson now seems to have lost his congregation to the outdoor Sunday school class held by Cat Montgomery. Distressed, Reverend Anderson pays Jack a visit to discuss the mysterious circumstances surrounding the church fire. Jack vows to investigate the fire, and while searching the charred remains of the church, discovers a large burn pattern along with a scorched can with a barely recognizable label. Jack takes the can to the local supply store where the clerk recognizes the label as one from a rare brand of whale oil not normally seen in the area. Meanwhile, Elizabeth is troubled by the behavior of one of her students, Rosaline. The young girl refuses to speak and seems paralyzed with fear by one of the town's miners, the troubled alcoholic Wendell Backus. Elizabeth talks with Jack about her concerns for Rosaline, specifically her fear of Wendell. Jack promises to have a talk with Wendell, but before he can, Rosaline seemingly vanishes in the dust of Wendell's wagon as it rolls off into the distance. In a panic, Jack immediately goes to Wendell's house. Confronted, Wendell breaks down and explains he once scared Rosaline because she didn't answer a question of his. Obviously, because she doesn't speak. Um, <laughs> Wendell goes on to explain that his drinking problem is a result of the mining tragedy. Suffering under the burden of guilt, Wendell reveals that he was supposed to be in the mine that day, but instead had a close friend work that fateful shift. As night falls, the all-out search for Rosaline continues. A desperate Elizabeth searches a school and by chance finds a drawing of a little girl in the mine. Elizabeth races to the mine, traveling deep enough to hear the sound of a sobbing Rosaline who is clutching a broken lunch pail. Relieved, Elizabeth holds the little girl in her arms. Rosaline breaks down and tells Elizabeth, I didn't bring him his lunch, referring to a special tradition she had with her late father. Deeply moved by Rosaline's words, Elizabeth assures Rosaline that her father loved her very much and that her mother just wants her back. Elizabeth and Rosaline emerge from the mine together, much to the relief and joy of the townspeople. All seems to be back to normal in Coal Valley when Jack makes a visit to Cat Montgomery's home. There to return a few borrowed items, uh, Jack finds a stash of whale oil cans similar to those he found at the remains of the burned-out church. A cloud of suspicion now hangs over Cat as Jack must uncover the true mystery behind the destroyed church. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. Mystery. Mystery. That was episode three, A Telling Silence. So we see the conclusion of this two-episode arc in episode four, titled Secrets and Lies. As the investigation into the mysterious church fire continues, Jack is forced to question Kat about the burnt whale oil can he found in her shed. Kat explains that she uses the oil for her candle business and assures Jack that it had nothing to do with the church fire. While Jack believes her, all the evidence points to her, including the fact that Kat was one of the only townspeople not at the vigil for the fallen miners on the night of the fire. In an effort to clear Kat's name, Jack decides to interview her children. Her son Gabe says he doesn't know where his mother was the night of the fire and that she didn't come home until very late that evening. 
Next, Jack interviews Kat's daughter, Emily, who says her mother actually got home the following morning. With an obvious inconsistency in their stories, Jack interviews Kat again, but she refuses to explain herself, leaving Jack no choice but to arrest her. Meanwhile, at school, Elizabeth is given a very expensive necklace by one of her students. Nicknamed Pockets, Albert is a shy boy who has a peculiar habit of collecting odd items and storing them in his trouser pockets. Albert explains that he found the necklace in a nearby creek and that it actually belongs to James Spurlock. And James Spurlock is one of the kind of enforcer security guys for the local He's mine. a Pinkerton. A Pinkerton man. Elizabeth is very grateful for the gift, but explains to Albert that she can't accept it. She goes on to say that women appreciate gifts from the heart over gifts that are solely based on money. Elizabeth gives Albert a kiss and tells him he'll make a very a lucky girl very happy one day. Later, while taking care of Kat's children, the necklace falls out of Elizabeth's pocket and is found by Emily. Emily asks Elizabeth why she has a necklace that belongs to her mother, Kat. Confused, Elizabeth goes to the jail to pressure Kat into coming clean about the necklace. In this cell, Kat explains that her late husband had run up a large gambling debt with a ruthless card shark. Mr. Spurlock knew of the situation and offered to help if Kat would be friendly towards him. Kat sternly rebuked Mr. Spurlock and threw the necklace into the creek. With the puzzle now coming together, Elizabeth rides out to Spurlock's house where she finds a burnt area of whale oil beside outside of his home. Elizabeth now knows that Spurlock framed Kat after she rebuffed his advances, but before she can move, Spurlock shows up and threatens her. Before he can pounce, Jack arrives and knocks Spurlock out, saving Elizabeth. With the new evidence in hand, Jack releases Kat and reunites her with her children. While the church fire mystery is solved, Jack and Elizabeth take some time to share a picnic together. As they eat, a spider crawls onto Elizabeth's shoulder, startling her to the point that she jumps into Jack's arms, um, which seems to be a bad habit of hers. Elizabeth comments that they shouldn't make a habit out of Jack saving her, to which Jack playfully responds, absolutely not. Then he smirks and finishes his sandwich, and that is the end of episode four. <laughs> I must say, I think the one important plot point that was missing out of these two episode summaries was the subplot where Jack adopts a basset hound. And I have to mention it as a basset hound mm. owner that that was probably my favorite part of the episodes. That was a good addition, I thought. That it was, was a cute dog. Yeah. It was quintessential basset hound behavior where he laid out in the road with no care or concern for anyone else <laughs> that was passing by. And then was reluctantly moved to the to the porch so Jack moved him so he wouldn't get run over and then just makes himself at home inside just laying around wherever he pleases and refuses to fetch things. So that seems like basset hound behavior to me. As so a you're saying that owner. that part of it was authentic. Yes. Yeah. That Fact was perhaps the, the most hound. the most authentic um, <laughs> thing that happened in the episode was the basset hound behavior, as I can attest. <laughs> All right, so what do you think of the episode? All the mystery, the church fire. Ooh, ooh, ah! It was definitely heavy on story. Like as you it were was doing a the heavy summary, episode. Set. I'm realizing that the two episode arc. It was. Not only was there just a lot and there was some complexity to the plot and everything, but at it, there also were like heavy themes of we're concerned about this drunk man who may have kidnapped a little girl and also, you know, Cat and Spurlock and kind of what was going on there. And, and so it was just kind of it was a 
heavy episode, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I thought there were some there were some good moments, but it surprised me not having seen these episodes since probably they aired originally. Like it was it was both episodes were very very heavy and the Basset Hound seemed to be you know one of the very few moments of laughter or one of the lighter moments really that was that was the light moment for both of the the two episodes until the end when you have the boat scene that's kind of like ooh there's our little romantic yeah. moment but we up gotta, until then it we got to give the Hardys a little a little bait right Ooh, there <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i think it was um it was interesting, especially starting out with some of the idea of, oh, there's this church and this religious service, the way that um, they haven't shied away from some re- religious themes, especially mm-hmm. initially. And I'm curious if that will sort of back off a little bit, as I think maybe in some of the other areas as well, they will maybe genericize a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious if they'll be kind of backing off of the religious themes. Granted that the sort of religious tone that it was was a lot of, we can do this. We will survive together. Yeah. Like, or, that was about as religious yeah, as it yeah. was, honestly. Well, like, Kat's Kat, little sermon, yeah, yes. was, like, an inspirational, like, we just guys, we can get through this and just take comfort and just, you know, it wasn't. And then she was handing out candles like, let's all be a light. Here's the candle. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was a little gimmicky. It was a little gimmicky, but I thought it was interesting. I thought the dynamic they set up between the Reverend and Kat was kind of interesting. And Mm -hmm. it was really unbecoming for the Reverend at the beginning. Like he sounded like a jealous man like he goes to jack and basically goes through this whole this whole report about the arson he's sort of like he's filing a complaint but basically he's just accusing somebody that to his knowledge has nothing to do with it like literally nothing other than the fact that she now teaches sunday school in the woods she has nothing to do that they know with the church fire and it's like they've created this whole like shroud of suspicion i guess because she wasn't at the vigil but that's really that's really the only at best that's the only evidence they have at the beginning and they sort of are like suspicious of her for this whole like series but i thought it was really funny when he goes over to cat the reverend goes over to cat's house and sort of tries to like talk her into you know, stopping so he can get his parishioners back. And she just gives it right back to him. Like, I thought that that, honestly, neither one of them handled that particularly well. No, because they didn't. If the reverend had just said, you know, okay, you can teach your little Sunday school lesson first, and then can I do a sermon and I'll move out to the like, woods. Like, let's do this together. Let's do this together. Which is in We're the end all what in happens. This together. <laughs> but, um... Instead, he was just like, why are you stealing my congregation? And she's like, well, why aren't you giving the congregation what they want to hear? And it's like... Which, okay, is a prosperity gospel preacher. Yes, (laughs) Yes, because, yeah, he, I mean, she, she, she act, she said something to him at, at the house, like, they needed somebody who understands what they're going through. It's like, this man may not have had... A loved one in the mind but also he's like an older man he's a reverend presumably has been for his entire career what would he possibly know about grief and loss and counseling and people and the bible <laughs> yeah. well here's the thing the suffering of life is universal 
Yeah. So he maybe didn't didn't lose someone in the mind, but the man has probably had his share of heartache. I I thought it to Ansley's earlier point about them just sort of picking Cat to take the fall for this. I at one point when the Reverend sort of comes to his senses and he sort of comes clean to Gal and I shouldn't have accused her. He's like, I don't know whether Cat burned down the church or not. And it was just it was so clear that it was such a random person. They might have as well have said, I have no idea whether Joe Schmo burned down the church <laughs> or not. It was like, yeah, you don't know if Queen Elizabeth burned down the church either. You don't know anything. Except it what was he said such there, a random person. What he said there was, even if she did burn down the church, it's not my place to judge. It's the people's um, church. I was like, wait. <laughs> She should go to prison if she burnt it down, though. Well, and to that point, so we find out that it was Spurlock, and then Jack just says, oh, well, well, you know, I was maybe not clear on that. I couldn't tell if Spurlock actually burned down the church or if he just no. framed Kat for burning down they the church. They set it up like he framed her. Yeah, so After I think the what, yeah, yeah, the church actually was an accident, and then when Elizabeth goes up to Spurlocks, which is a whole nother no. bad mistake on her mm. part, but they found, like, there was, like, a burn spot. Like, he burned the whale oil afterward and then planted it there, so. Also, I, the first several scenes that happened in episode three, I was trying to figure out whether they were supposed to be romantic or threatening, and I couldn't quite tell. Like Cat Spurlock, so the first one. Cat is is up there preaching. The service has barely ended. And she's just up there handing out candles to people, and then he just walks straight up to her, up to the aisle, and says he's talking to her or something. And like the tone of voice, I was like, okay, is this like a romantic moment? Is like this he was flirting. I couldn't tell, and if she was just shocked that he was flirting with her, or she was put off. And then you have the scene yeah. where the reverend goes to Kat's house and he's like, play the piano for me. You have such a soothing touch. And I'm like, are you trying to like do veiled threats or are you interested in her romantically? I don't know what the difference is with your behavior. <laughs> I think yeah. that in the that Spurlock coming up to her was sort of like this. I'm a disgusting man who is still making advances towards you yeah. and being flirtatious. And then I think the after reverend... he framed her, he had already right. framed her at after, that point. Yeah. Um, but then I think the reverend was more like, I'm going to be a very pleasant person and, oh, you play the piano and it would really be great if you, you know, and just kind of like soften her up before he has a difficult conversation with her. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the whole, um, Elizabeth going up, I know that's like at the very end of this arc, but Elizabeth going up to Spurlock's house, like another great example of elizabeth putting her nose in business she's got no business being in she just waltzes up there like i'm gonna hand you a piece of jewelry that cat montgomery gave me she told me the whole story about how you made you know weird advances upon her in her time of crisis and here's the necklace you gave her and then she threw into the lake like did you think that was gonna go well and then she just sticks around like she really should have thought this through a little bit. She should have looked she and just, seen that there was a burnt burn spot and then gone to Jack and been like, hey, Jack, pretty sure there's something yeah, weird going Yeah, why don't you go check into that? Yeah. I don't she understand why she... She didn't play cool at <laughs> no. all. No, she didn't. But, you know... Oh my goodness! It's a burn spot! It must have been him! And he's like, sitting up behind yeah. her. I'm she gonna stand in the middle of your the... yard and investigate your yard while you're right there. Like... But yeah. it was kind of... 
honestly, there were similarities, though, because in the episode three, when everybody's looking for Rosaline and she thinks, okay, now I know where she is. She literally is the least informed person in this town about the mine. Literally anybody else that you run into on the street knows more about the mine, the mine location, and the paths in the mine than her. And what does she do? She goes up there alone. I was like, she's gonna get lost in there, and then she and Rosalina are both gonna be lost forever. How's that gonna go? How hard would it have been to just find somebody else? Tell Jack. Find a miner who actually works there and knows where things are. Like, what are you doing up there, rogue? That was a very dramatic shot as she, like, disappeared into the dark with her lantern. Yeah. They got a little artsy there. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they were putting the, the, the Hall of Fame in that shot right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going right. to choose to be impressed that she found her way out of the cave. They didn't yes. address that, but I'm very impressed that somehow in all her running around and being scared of a rat and everything, she still made it out of the cave. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, she did help clear a passage in that mine. That's true. That's true. In she the last there. episodes. That's right. Yeah. I forget that. And I, I think it's so interesting how she just decides to make all of her problems Jack's problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, so there's true. a little girl, a little girl in my class who who can't, she just isn't speaking and you gotta, this guy scares her. It's like, yeah, she's a little girl and he's like a big drunk guy. Of course it scares her. But yeah. she's so convinced, oh, that has to have something to do with why she doesn't talk. Which it turns out the guy had what, like smacked her or something for not, no, he threatened. He didn't actually. He didn't hit actually. Her. Oh, hit this her. is Hallmark. He raised he his wouldn't. hand. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's not why she wasn't talking either. Like, right. it, it was like totally she was unrelated. Talking, totally unrelated. She, she ticked him off, but it wasn't why she wasn't talking anyway. But I saw a trivia thing that said that Bacchus is the Roman god of wine, and yes. then his last name is yeah. Bacchus. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. I thought of that. <laughs> But yeah, it's hard because teachers nowadays are like mandatory reporters of stuff. And it's such a litigious society that if you if you have any concerns about anything, you have to tell somebody to like cover yourself so that you're protected. So in that sense, it makes sense to me that she would tell somebody else about it. But she really did make quite a leap there. And then in the end, it really didn't have anything but had it been something it would have been the right thing for her to say something so the thing that she did wrong as a teacher in this episode was kiss Albert on the forehead that was so it was so Uh, wrong she should not have done that yeah I just it's like when a when a you're an adult woman and a, a young boy comes up to you and is like oh I clearly have a crush on you here's a special gift Instead of going, oh, that's really sweet, but, you know, that's not really appropriate, and I'm your teacher, and all that. She's just like, that is so sweet. Gives him a kiss on the forehead, and then said, oh, you're going to make some girl very, you know, lucky one day. It's like, honey, you did not shut that down near hard enough. I thought one of the other funnier moments in it in the episode was when she walked away from Albert that they had like extra glowy light on her and her hair was bouncing and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the that was pretty funny. But he was a nice character, you know. Yeah, he's so cute. He was a nice. I'm they they had so many more. I think one of the strengths of these early episodes is 
they're telling stories of children, right? They're like, they're telling stories about individual kids and her role in the classroom. I feel like it's very focused on them. And I feel like that's where they had success. Like there were moments between her and Albert and then moments between her and Rosaline where you're like, wow, this is like, there's, there was a lot of success there in good storytelling and emotion and giving Elizabeth sort of a sense of like, wow, she belongs here and she's like doing good work for people who need her. I thought th those, those were very successful elements of these episodes. But it was nice that she went over to care for Kat's children while she was in jail. But can I just say, how hard is it to not burn things? <laughs> how how hard is it to not burn biscuits? Pretty sure they're not supposed to be black. Pretty sure everyone knows that. Like, you just, just take check, them out check the roast. <laughs> just check the roast every 15 minutes or she, so. She's used to having people for that, okay? Like <laughs> She's a former rich lady. As, as Albert, Albert would out. like to, yeah, <laughs> remind you, she's a former rich lady and checking biscuits. Plus, okay, what makes it We're not even talking is... about overdone, though. We're talking about black biscuits and black meat. And then when she's cooking the chicken later, it's, it's like entirely not cooked. This is a chicken that just came out of the package. It did. It's not cooked at all. It's, it's like, like this is not that difficult. I feel well, like to just not burn burning, it. As far as burning things, really, the only key to not burning something is to keep track of the time. And literally, they spent the whole episode talking about telling time. So I don't know. There's some. There's maybe there's some irony go there. Go and check your sundial, Elizabeth. Yeah. Take the biscuits yeah. out. The sundial's gonna go off in ten minutes to tell you it's time to take out your biscuits. So maybe pay attention. But speaking of like focusing on the children's stories and interactions. I, one of the funnier moments I thought was when Emily, Kat's daughter, is like, they're at the house and the Reverend comes over and he's like, oh, I just wanted to see how the children are and they're running around and everything. Elizabeth turns to like go stop the boys from fighting or something. And the little girl asks him like, are you praying for us? And he's like, well, of course. And I forget what she says, but she, she just gives him like, it's just a really funny interaction where he's just sort of like, what? <laughs> I think she she just said something like "thank you, sir" or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 something funny. It was really okay, cute. Okay, but mentioning the children, I felt a little uneasy about the fact that she Elizabeth let Jack interrogate Cat's children without Cat's knowledge or consent. Like, there's no way you could get away with that in modern society. And I know they want us to believe that Jack has good intentions. Um, but I just am not sure that I, I mean, I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me, you know, if I had children to go interview them without even telling their parent. It, that, that was a little bit weird to me. And Elizabeth, you know, at first is like, no, we're not doing that. But he talks her into it. And then he's like, well, hey, now that I've done that, I'm going to go interrogate Cat over at the house. And Elizabeth will, says, well, I'm not letting you do that unless I'm present. Like, she didn't even... She didn't even make that distinction when he was interviewing Kat's sons. Because she but, was watching but, the little girl. Yeah, but like, you know, you can't, you can interview children alone, but not my friend who has clearly been hiding things. Like, How is it I, any of Elizabeth's business, to be frank? 
it is yeah. none of your beeswax, Elizabeth. Would you just back off? She it's was all whale over oil Jack. Either. She was all over. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> she was all over Jack the whole episode. Like, what are you doing? And how can you how can you talk to her about that? And you you don't have the right to do that. It's like just let the man do his job. And for the most yeah. part, he did a good job. He was doing things the right way. And she was yeah. just hounding him on stuff. It's like, honey, would you just step off? He wasn't giving in to pressure from anybody that meant her or Kat or Gowan or the Reverend or anybody that talked to him. He was just very even keeled about everything and I'm doing my investigation and yeah. Yeah, when the Reverend came in and made some snide remark about I hope that the Basset Hound's laziness isn't catching the pace and he just said... I'm perfectly happy with the pace of my investigation. Yeah. I like they they I do like that they set Jack up as like he's going to do his job and he's going to do it the right way no matter who's pressuring him whether it's Elizabeth or Cat or Gowan or the Reverend. Like he's going to do his job the right way and everybody's just going to have to wait until he knows what he's going to do next. Like everybody can back off a little bit. And he is to, probably um, honestly the strongest character. Yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah. He he was very smooth, by the way. At the end of the third episode, <laughs> yeah. they were working on Latin and he calls her like Bella and stuff. And he was kind of getting close to her and he was apologizing for how he had previously doubted her and all of that. He was he was pretty smooth there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, not too bad. I was going to say, um, back to the kids, that Gabe is just the absolute moodiest child I've ever seen in my life, and he's extremely good at giving murderous looks. Like, when he looked at Jack, it was like, I'm, I'm going to fight you or whatever. It, like, you believe him. I yeah, think that he do. might have a pocket knife and things might go down. I mean... I mean, it's perfectly represented by just the very faint mustache that's barely growing oh. in. That's yeah. just the tell the telltale sign of the teenage angst that he's going but, through. But seriously, both that actor and the actor, the actress who played Rosaline, I thought they both did a good job of like they had some emotional heavy stuff, and mm-hmm. both of them really had moments where like, wow, I like. I believe you right now. And when Elizabeth comes running in to tell Jack that um, he she thinks that Rosaline is gone, she is extremely emotional. I think that's the most emotional she is on the show, except for maybe things to come that we're not going to spoil yet. Um, there's like one other scene I can think of. But yeah. I, I feel like, you know, later on in the series, she sort of loses some of her range. She kind of becomes mm. more like her own stereotype a little bit but at the beginning here she's really a good actress and she's just very raw and showing a lot of emotion i thought yeah i think though the academy award goes to florence um she was very like in the scene where elizabeth comes over to her house rosaline leaves she's like super desperate she's begging elizabeth like please you're a teacher you have to help me anything that you can oh, do that's molly. That's molly. oh molly yeah. sorry i get all <laughs> all these town town ladies mixed up yeah she's like anything convincing. that you can do and then when they find her at the end she is like sobbing and like i love you so it's- much i love you as like I'm pretty sure that is the most range that I have ever seen you give in one of these episodes. She is gripping Rosaline's hair so tight. I don't know if you noticed that, but it looks like she's about to rip Rosaline's curls out of her head. She is gripping her so tight. (laughs) Okay. Well, and so um, I think it's, 
speaking about Elizabeth, she's she's pretty presumptuous at times, and you notice it. You notice it when she's confronting Cat in jail, and she sort of says, "I defended you, so I have the right to know everything." It's like actually, no, you don't. And how long have they even known each other between? Cat and they act this way a little bit with Molly too. Although I think between Molly and Elizabeth, there's a little more distance there, and you sense that when she's there for dinner. But between Cat and Elizabeth, they act like, "Oh, we're we're besties, and I covered for you, and so now you have to like lay out the whole story." And Cat is so ashamed that her husband was a gambler, which frankly, other than you know maybe a couple of other wives, most people probably would not have cared. Like it's a it's a a mining company town with a prominent saloon like cards and gambling and stuff happened i'm sure there i mean there's drunks like wendell drinking happened i'm not sure it would have been such a big secret but she's the church lady she's the sunday school church lady i think what bothered me though was that she was so protective of her husband's memory to the point of not accurately representing who he was and what his flaws were i get that you don't want your kids to have bad thoughts or bad memory about their father he's dead and there's nothing you can do about it at that point but she's like he's a good man he really was it's like was he cat was he a good man who had these huge gambling debts and didn't stop when you begged him to and you had to work all of this time with your extra business on the side in order to pay that off. And yeah. it put you in a bad position where you were subject to this other guy's advances and all that. He did that because he mismanaged his family's finances. Yeah. What I want to know is how long between the time that he, the card shark showed up and the time and the vigil when she paid him off. Because they sort of act like... I know between the vigil and now they said it was about six weeks, but I want to know how long between the mining accident and the vigil because they had she mentioned acted about like a month in the episode. Yeah, she acted like she scrimped and saved and she paid off this huge debt in a month from her husband's death pension and selling candles. I'm not sure I believe that she well, this, opened up about debt- body works there, and yeah. so she made quite a bit of money on this. Yeah. <laughs> she was an Avon consultant, Mary Kay. She like all the extra jobs. Small business owner slash pyramid scheme contributor. Yeah. <laughs> she did young, healthy living, essential oils. You know. All the. I mean, why do you think she's keeping whale oil in that in that shed? That's her whale oil is an essential oil, okay? <laughs> the prairie version of essential oil. She had a lot of leftover supplies. I mean, you would think that it would cost a lot for her to get her supplies and she would kind of barely be making a profit but she had all those extra cans in there you know yeah and well, then they she's giving about... away the candles at her sunday school like that's her livelihood if we're you'll be charged to later $19.99 plus tax <laughs> one copy of the baby steps book that is $27.95 plus the usual office rate <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. They they made it sound like the debt. This was such a huge debt 
that she was in so deep she didn't know what to do. Girl, you paid that off in a month. You were Dave Ramsey in that thing. Like, yeah. it couldn't have been that bad if you paid it off in a month. Dave Or well, Dave Ramsey would be proud, I guess. Dave was I wa- proud, yeah. Dave I wonder if proud. she, like, took a chunk, like, if she was allowed to take a lump sum out of her husband's death pension. Is that allowed? <laughs> like, is this yeah, a monthly payment? So according to J.G. Wentworth, it's her money and she wants it now. She needs it now. She so. needs cash now. <laughs> I guess J.G. Wentworth was running the town bank at that point so she could get her lump sum. I think it's also interesting how much they emphasize the fact that the town owns everything. You kind of realize at the beginning that's more of the premise of, you know, we talked about in the last episode how the moms were saying the school's the only thing that the town doesn't own. And in this one, Gowan or that makes, the company, or that doesn't, the company own. doesn't own. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in this one, they made it clear um, Gowan was like, you work for me. The church is a company church and I own it. And um, they really just emphasize how much yeah. the mining company is over all of them. Which is good setup for, you know, stuff to come potentially. I mean, at this point, we don't know much except that, you know, there was the mining accident, but the, the company's keeping the town alive in this. I think they did a good job of adding to the background of what that struggle is and is going to continue to be in the future. I must say, though, honestly, I'm not seeing anything right now that says that Gowan is that bad of a guy. Like. No. There, there's this whole question about, well, what contributed to the mining accident. But I think we talked in the last episode, too. He really hasn't done anything that bad at this point that we're aware of that's, that's like, public knowledge. He seems, like, genuinely concerned or heartfelt when he says, oh, I'm glad that that little girl got found and I'll build you a new church and all of that, like... It seems a little strange that a company would own the church building and would hire the pastor. But at the same time, that might be a business tactic on their part to try and attract people to the area. Attract families. This is a family area. You can bring your families here. You can settle here. That's a good business proposition for him. And in a town like that where they're struggling to afford things, what's wrong with him as a benefactor supplying that? Although, if he were to make it more independent, that wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, they act like at the end, that that whole conversation between Gowan and the Reverend, the last one that they show, I think, where the Reverend sort of quits and says, I'm not a company man anymore. I They, they sort of are acting like the Reverend's been bought off to like promote the company or like he's got an agenda that he's pushing the company agenda. I'm not sure that we really see that other places. They do... Gowan does say some things that are a little bit schmarmy, maybe about as long as the people are happy and sort of like they're trying to use the church to quell this sense of hatred towards the company. But I'm not sure that you really have a strong sense of that at the end. And then they sort of leave the question open at the very end. Like the Reverend has said, don't worry about building us a church. Don't worry about paying me anymore. I'm going to work for the town now and not work for you. And then you start to wonder, okay, how long is he going to be able to survive? Because the families in town who are all living on their husband's death pension can barely afford to keep a teacher. So how is the pastor going to sustain himself and i thought it was funny a little bit at the end when they're sort of having their their new and improved revival meeting and the pastor is coming and apologizing with 
which kudos to him and to that character for like owning the mistakes and i feel like they showed a lot of growth in that character in the two episode arc but i like how they were um they sort of said, well, we haven't heard a sermon from you in a while, but you care to preach? And he's like, well, I just happen to have a sermon ready here. Let me just preach on Psalm, Psalm 32. 20, yeah. Psalm 23. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Speaking of his knowledge of the Bible, um, did you notice that he said in the Gospel of John 9, 111, <laughs> chapter 9, no, verse 111, there's not no. an 111 verses in chapter 9. And the verse that he quoted about being blind and now I see is from uh, John chapter 9, verse 20. So, <laughs> yikes! You know, really he really hasn't. He either. really hasn't had his eye on the ball for a while. <laughs> yeah, he's really gotten priorities out of. You know, a I bit. think he's. I think he's gonna survive because he looks like a former member of the Bee Gees. So I think he's probably got some soft rock money that saved up. For, <laughs> he's got some. He's living off he's those got, royalties. He's got disco royalties that, that he'll be <laughs> using to fund his to fund his time in the town. <sighs> Yeah. Any other any other thoughts on the episodes? What do we think about the romance? How the relationship is developing at this point? We're four episodes in. Um, quick thought also. I thought it was Abigail Stanton's absence was fairly conspicuous. I feel like they set her up a lot in the first two episodes. And then she was not really... She wasn't in any of these episodes at all. So I'll be interested to see what her presence looks like going forward in this season but um you know i thought they they did a pretty good job of showing that jack and elizabeth are sort of they're still warming up to each other like nothing dramatic has happened but they're starting to realize wow you're maybe not the horrible person i thought you were when you came here and like wow i might enjoy spending time with you i thought they were they were showing growth there but it wasn't anything that felt forced like we're trying to rush it i thought they they both had moments where they had to apologize to the other one um for jack it was at the end of episode three where he was saying i'm you know basically I see the care that you had for that little girl and good job in finding her and you know you're not soft he kind of was apologizing for how he had seen her as a little bit of a princess before and then I think in the end of episode four she kind of had to apologize and and say yeah you did rescue me when I stuck my nose into other people's business and she had to admit that his investigation he was correct he did things the right way and so she kind of had to eat some humble pie then. So I thought that was interesting that they both sort of got humbled and had to apologize to each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's healthy for, for them to be able to apologize to each other. Mm -hmm. They act like she's more, you know, she's more humble now. She doesn't have the resources that she used to, but if we're being honest, daddy did some, send some supplies in the last episode when Albert goes she up to her and he's like, out right away. oh, since you used to be a rich lady, I wanted to get you something nice. I thought, oh, honey, she is still a rich lady. Still a rich lady, yeah. <laughs> she is still a rich lady. <laughs> you know, I think, though, on, on the note of um, Abigail being absent, you know, I think for the sake of the people, we might need to vote on referring to Lori Laughlin as she who must not be named um, <laughs> from now on. <laughs> So we, you know, don't ruffle any feathers. They're talking about Lori. 
Maybe they were just um, making room for Cat Montgomery to be backup you know, head widow. Backup <laughs> head widow, yeah. Abigail's out for the week, so Cat Montgomery, backup head widow and church lady, also Sunday school teacher who may or may not be preaching in the Grove on Sundays, <laughs> taking over the town while Abigail's absent. Well, I thought- assistant to the head widow. Yeah. To the head widow. I thought that uh, overall, Cat was a pretty good character. Um, She's a little yeah. bit, you know, I don't know. She's she's got her moments where it's like, you know, hard you to kinda, believe. Yeah, yeah, you kind of question why she made a decision or two, but overall, she seems like a good, strong character and a good mother, and you know, I agree. I think she was a good character overall. She seemed good with her kids. I I wish that she had pushed back on Gabe just a little bit more. Like yeah. some of his behavior, he was very disrespectful to Jack. And, yeah. you know, to quote Barney Fife, he was just like an arrogant little cuss there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she should have been like, excuse me, um, you do not disrespect um, law enforcement that way. Yeah. That was I don't very think she rude. Knew how to handle raising well, a teenage son when her husband was dead. You know, you kind of It's understandable, if, yeah. like teenage boy angst. And as we've already discussed, he has a really good I'm going to murder you look. So there's a lot of raging emotions there <laughs> to, to try and corral. So it's understandable that they would have some issues. But Jack had really gone out of his way to be nice to Gabe and to like teach him how to salute like a Mountie and. And yeah. all of that, and he turned on he turned on him pretty so fast, fast when his mom got arrested, and then he turned on his mom really fast. She got arrested, and he goes to the jail. Did you do you it? Did it? You did you it. Did I it. Know you did. Yeah, he and like hears she two says, gossips in the store, and all of a sudden everything's changed. Like, <laughs> yes. can we just take a moment to appreciate those gossips in the store? Oh, I, I just can't even believe that Cat would do that. I and mean, the sides are all there. Schools. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, then at the end, at the end, when Cat's giving her like farewell sermon before she hands it off to the the actual reverend, she says something about thanking the entire town for their support during this scandalous time. I was Looking like, at you, yeah. Mary. <laughs> support thank in you. air quotes thank, thank you, you all <laughs> for yeah. your support yeah <laughs> yeah I think there were a few little details that um didn't quite come together to me with the the whole story and how things ended up and one of those was that um how Emily would have known about the necklace because it kind of seems like yeah Kat wouldn't yeah. have had it around. Paraded that around. Paraded hey, it. Hey, honey, it, here's a necklace that a, that a, a man rascally man offered. Well, not even really marry mommy. Just have a relationship with mommy. And, but, um, but Emily said that. That's, the, that's from the man that wanted to marry mommy. And it's like, I don't understand how she would have known. It's a small that. house. They can't keep secrets. I guess she was kind of a little <laughs> Apparently the they stairs. can because Kat was keeping the gambling debts a secret. I mean... Yeah. Starting her own Bath and Body Works in the backyard, and nobody knew about it. Nobody knew. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any final thoughts on the episode before we wrap up? I think overall, Elizabeth was had some good moments, some endearing moments. I thought Jack was the most successful character in both of these episodes. They established who he is as a in his work. And they kind of started to build up some chemistry between him and Elizabeth. Um, 
you know, they sort of hint at the end of uh, episode four that, oh, like, there's maybe a little bit more here in the chemistry that we're going to see in the future. So I thought overall they were successful. A lot of the, the child acting I thought was also successful. I agree. Yeah, I think it was a, really a pretty good episode. The plot the plot was pretty good. Um, not Not too much to find fault with. I thought it was a pretty well done episode for them, so... Yeah. All right. Well, that will conclude it for today. Episodes three and four. Uh, thanks for joining us and um, tune in for next time when we talk about episodes five and six.